kids are on. Can you hear me? All right. All right. Was the kids are settling into their classrooms? Um, if you have a Bible or a smartphone, some device with you, we will be in Proverbs this morning. Um, our kind of MO here at Redeemer is to work through books of Scripture, just uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, um, over the course of weeks or months. Proverbs is, is not really set up for that. It's designed, um, it's really to be kind of these short, pithy statements. And, and so we started with looking at wisdom a few weeks back. It's been a couple weeks on that. And then what we're going to do in our time in Proverbs is take topics and look at topics that are taught in Proverbs. And so what it means is we have to jump around a lot. And so we, if you want to get a list after the service, I can provide you a list of, of all the Proverbs. If you want to try to have the fastest fingers in the West, um, you can do that and try to keep up. Um, and Kristen's going to do her best as well to keep up. We're, we're going to look at a lot this morning. Um, I do want to, just as a brief um, recap is to remind us that how we have defined wisdom is this, is that wisdom is being skilled at living, right? That it's not just having knowledge and information um, of knowing a lot of things, but it is, it is having the ability to take knowledge, knowing that wisdom is found first and foremost in Jesus, that he is the embodiment of wisdom. And that then we take that wisdom and we are able to in, in, integrate it and apply it into our lives and live wisely, um, and so it's like having, it's like being a craftsman, right? That ability of, of handling life with wisdom. And so the last couple of weeks we've looked at um, emotions, we've looked at friendships. And this, so this morning we're going to look at a topic that affects all of us, whether you want it to or not, um, is conflict. Um, because conflict is unavoid, unavoidable. Even if you are an avoider of conflict, you cannot stay away from it. And we understand that conflict brings things to a halt, right? If you're in, a, in conflict at work, it, it can really kind of grind the gears of anything being done, right? And it just slows everything down because what do people want to talk about? The conflict, right? They're, they're deciding on teams and who's right and who's wrong. And even if there's only one person on the other team, right, that everyone needs to be consumed with that. And it just begins to slow things down and productivity drops. And we see that externally. It's, it's obvious when there's conflict in a workplace. We see it in, in, our, in our churches sometimes. Unfortunately, we see it in our families. We see it in our friendships. And sometimes that conflict is less external in nature. But what it's doing is it's slowing you down internally, right? That your heart is wrapped up in it. Your mind is wrapped up in it. And even though you may be going through the motions of life and no one would be able to notice immediately that there's conflict, you know. You know that you're not running at full capacity. You know that your heart in your mind or somewhere else, replaying conversations or imagining conversations that need to come about. That conflict slows things down. It brings things to a halt. And so just to begin with, I want to look at a couple of, of Proverbs here. The first is in chapter 17, verse 1. And Solomon writes here, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife, right? And, and one of the, the elements of Proverbs is they just have this vivid imagery, right? And he's saying, hey, I'd rather have some toast, right, by myself than to be at a party of feasting where there is strife, where there is conflict, right? We intuitively know this, right, from experience. 
probably already your mind is wandering to past um, situations or potentially current situations, right, where you're going, yeah, yeah, I will take toast over a meal with them, right, no matter how nice the meal is. If you even look down a little further in chapter 17, in verse 14, we see this. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the, before the quarrel breaks out. This is one of my favorite ones, right? This idea that you've got this huge water container, and once it's out, it's out. And so they're like, stop, stop before you break it loose, because we can't get it back in. And then 18, chapter 18, verse 19. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Right? Just this idea that once you've offended someone, like they, they, they lock down, they are on guard, they are unyielding. Right? And so I laid out these first three because it kind of just gives us this overall sense of what conflict does. That once it comes out, you can't get it back in. That once people are offended, they're on guard. And that we know we would rather be quiet with a less good meal than to be in a place of conflict and strife. And yet it's unavoidable. You will deal with it. You'll deal with it far more than you want. You can even innocently fall into conflict, right? And have no role or part in it at all. Um, Some of you know, I nearly went to jail a few years ago. And some of the rest of you, your your minds are, wait, I want to hear this story. Um, Literally due to no fault of my own. And listen, I know everyone in jail says that, right? Like, I'm an innocent man, right? Like, that's, like that's the mantra in jail. But I, um, I, I woke one morning. It was right before Carson had not been born yet. And uh, there's a police officer pounding on our front door. And he asked if my name was Jeremy. I said, yes. He's like, this is your home, yes. He's like, um, that tree outside, did you, did you prune that tree? Yes, sir. Well, that's your neighbor's tree. I know, but the house is abandoned. You know, we couldn't back out on Somerville. And so we, we tried to find them. We couldn't. So we pruned it so, we, you know, we didn't die. Um, and we didn't want to call the city and get them in trouble because the house is abandoned. He's like, well, you should have you should have been a bad neighbor because um, they're charging you with trespassing and malicious damage to property. And so I'm like, wait, what? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm supposed to go to, you know, church for my job here in a minute. Um, I'm probably going to get fired. And he's like, hey, let me, let me see what I can do. Don't leave. He comes back like half an hour later. Carmen's teaching. I'm like, I think I'm going to jail. Like, I don't, like, I don't and I'm just imagining sitting right in the holding cell. Like, what are you in here for? I pruned an old lady's tree. <laughs> right? Like, what's that a euphemism for? Right? Like, and I'm just imagining and, and so I finally, we come back and the, the police officer was able to get a hold of a couple of people. And what we found out was that there had been a conflict. And since we had just bought the house, we'd only been in it for like a month. Um, our former owners of our home and our neighbor had a massive feud going on, this major conflict. She lived out of the country. And when she had someone who watched her house notice that something had been done on her property, she's like, I finally got, the, I finally got him. And she was going to send this man that she's been infuting in conflict with for, for years to jail. When they said, hey, he's not 80, he's like 25. She's like, all right, just make it a warning, right? So, so I avoided jail, right? Um, I kept my job. 
and, but I had unwittingly walked into a conflict that had not been reconciled and nearly paid a price for it, right? Right, like that I saw this unyielding sense of, hey, a, a brother or a sister offended, right? It's, it's ugly. And that when, it's, it, when it comes out, it gets on everyone, right? It's verse 14. And so what we have to ask this question of, if we hate conflict so much and yet it seems so unavoidable, why is this the case? What leads to conflict? And first and foremost, we know this, that conflict entered the world when we rebelled against God, right? When humanity said, God, we don't trust you, we're going to do it our way, that we went against the holy creator of the universe, and our relationships were broken, and our relationship with God was broken, and, right, conflict and emotions and quarrels and brokenness entered the world. And so James writes this in chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels? And fights among you, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, right? That we know that we are not even always at peace inside. So how can we be at peace with others? Because the world is broken. And so I just, I'm going to run through several Proverbs here that just begin to kind of show us some of the things that lead to conflict. So we're going to go through them. We'll be working left to right. All right. But we're going to go quickly here. So chapter 6, verse 19, starting in verse 17, it says there's six things that the Lord hates, and it ends with this in verse 19. And something the Lord hates is one who sows discord among the brothers. Sometimes conflict happens intentionally because someone's just a jerk, all right? And they are intentionally looking to sow conflict and discord and disunity. If you turn over to chapter 10, verse 12, we see this. Hatred stirs up strife. So another thing to bring is just hate. That you have hate for a situation. You have hate for a person. You have hate for a thought process or an ideal. Right? There's just hate and it stirs things up. Move down to verse 19 of chapter 10. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Here's the idea. When you talk a lot, you're going to sin a lot. And when you sin a lot, there's going to be a lot of conflict. So this idea of watching what we say. We're going to look at some of these in more detail. Turn over to chapter 12, verse 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. The idea here that if you're a fool, if you're not wise, when emotion comes, right, you just explode and show it. And so the conflict is, it, 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 it's grown immediately because they weren't able to hold in their emotion because they are a fool and fools react quickly. Go down to verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Right? One of the things that brings conflict is our tongue, right? Stabbing, right? This, the, the imagery here of just sword thrust into the body, into the chest, right? Of someone that our tongue is able to do that. If you turn to verse 10 of chapter 13. By insolence comes nothing but strife. Insolence is not a word we use a lot. It basically means like disrespect or rudeness, right? By being rude and disrespectful, you will bring about conflict and strife and offense to others. Verse 18 of chapter 15. A hot-tempered man or woman stirs up strife. 
one who is slow to anger quiets contention, right? It's contrasted here that someone who is hot-tempered, right, when they, they just kind of are throwing gasoline on the fire, when they talk, it adds to it. One who is slow to anger is able to steal it and quiet it. Maybe my favorite one I will imagine I will use often in my life with my sons is chapter 18, verse 6. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Um, pretty sure Dan's going to get that one tattooed. So, um, right, this, this idea that our mouth, right, sometimes it just invites someone to kind of to bring conflict to you because we just run it too much. That we're too quick to speak, too slow to listen. Look at verse 13 of chapter 18. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. This idea that, yeah, I'm responding to you, but I'm not listening. I'm not understanding. I'm not trying to figure out what's going on. I'm just going to give you an answer based on my assumptions. Not listening often leads to conflict. And then a couple of final verses here in chapter 26. Verse 20 and 21. And again, the imagery, just the vividness of this. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. That we know people that where they go, strife and conflict follow. They are like kindling to it. They're just able to like watch it like, watch this, and it's right? The room just engulfs. And others are those who are like, bringing in a bucket of water and it just seems that peace follows them and so right we want to see what is the difference between the one who feeds conflict and the one who starves conflict that we know right now misunderstandings lead to it that sin of a variety of sin does one of the primary things that will lead to conflict is your pride of not being able to admit that you're wrong of not being able to say you're sorry one of the biggest issues with conflict is control, especially if you're a parent, right? You're looking at them just saying, just do what I say. And conflict grows, right? Because they, they, you want to control the situation and you feel like you should be able to because you're the parent or you're the boss, right? Or you're the older sibling, right? We begin to put ourselves in situations where we feel like we should have the final say and we should have control and when control is lost, it leads to conflict. It can happen innocently through just missed expectations that have not been communicated. Past hurt from others can lead to conflict with someone who doesn't deserve it simply because it reminds you of that situation. And obviously, a lack of communication often will lead to conflict. Listen, we are living in a broken world of sinners they're going to sin against you. And you're a sinner. And you're going to sin too. And even if you are walking now in, in, in the love and the forgiveness of Jesus, we are still affected by the flesh. And we still stumble and we still fall and we still sin. And we still have expectations and lack of communication. Proverbs would say that the one who is wise in his own eyes is a fool. Right? That often we think we are smarter than we are. When Carmen and I left for our honeymoon, we had um, my grandmother had given us a trip to Orlando, and so we were going to Disney. And we leave, and we arrive, and 
the next morning, the first morning we'd gotten there late, the, Carmen's like, hops out of bed, all right, what are we doing? And I'm like, we're going to see where the day takes us. And she's like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> like, where's the, I, where's the agenda? Like, I don't, I was in charge of the honeymoon. She's like, I'm like, I don't, I don't have an agenda. Like, She's like, no, 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 this, no, you don't understand. Like, what are we going to do? And she's like starting to panic. And you can just see like the stress coming up. She's like, we can't just see where the day takes us. Like, and we learned right then that I, we had not communicated well about the honeymoon. Um, we had different expectations of what travel looked like, where I'm kind of like, hey, let's just relax. And she's like, no, we're going to have fun and we're going to schedule the fun and we're going to do all the fun. <laughs> And you're going to come with me with the fun, and you'll like that I have a schedule. And so there were some misunderstandings that did not all get sorted out on that first vacation. We, it took us years of vacations before we have gotten to a place where we both enjoy them and come back having enjoyed them and one another. Um, we're able to do that well now. right? And so it wasn't that neither one of us sinned against each other necessarily in that. Right? It was just some, some misunderstandings, some poor communication, some, some expectations from our past that we assumed the other one would already have. And yet it led to some conflict and some, some sin that then occurred right, because of the conflict. And, and so I think we, just, we need to understand that conflict runs the gamut of you have been sinned against in horrific, atrocious ways that need to have the law involved. And... Silly honeymoon disputes and everything in between, right? And so even this morning, you can have conflict with me if you think I'm being too trite about conflict because I'm talking about small conflict and you have big conflict in your mind. Like, well, he is so flippant, right? And it can begin to stir, right? It is conflict is so easy to set off. And so the question we have to ask then is why do we deal with this at all? Right? Why do we deal with conflict at all? I want to read just a couple of verses. The first is Colossians 3.13. To just begin to see kind of the expectation of a, of a New Testament Christian. Paul writes and he says this, Bear with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must Forgive. So the expectation is that there's probably going to be issue. If there's going to be complaints. We're going to have to bear with one another. We're going to need to forgive. But that Jesus has forgiven us. In Ephesians uh, 4, 31 and 32, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In Romans 12, it tells us, as much as it is possible, live at peace with one another. Right? He is writing to Christians in churches and he's saying, you're going to need to forgive each other. You're going to have to bear with one another. You're going to have to like pursue one another. Like it's going to happen amongst the body of Christ. And so Matthew 5 tells us, blessed are the peacemakers. So in Ephesians 2, we are called children of wrath. That all of the world are children of wrath, living according 
to the, the power of the earth and we are opposed to God. And it says, but then, but by the grace of God, by the great mercy of God, that Jesus steps in and rescues us. Right? He lives the life we were meant to live without sinning against one another. And then he takes our sin that we have sinned against one another and against him and dies in our place. A substitute paying the price and the penalty for us. And then is raised to new life. Having defeated sin and Satan and death. Jesus ends the conflict for us with God. And gives us the tools to be able to end conflict with one another. And so why do we deal with this? Is because we want to image the Son of God who has put us at peace. Romans 5.1 says that it's, we have peace with God because of Jesus. If you go down later in Romans 5 into verse 8, it's like he demonstrated his love at the cross while you were still sinners. Not because you had cleaned yourself up. Not because you had pulled yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps. He puts us at peace. And so if the God of the universe has put us at peace with him, there is no one who has sinned against you in a way greater than we have sinned against a holy God. There's no offense greater than the one that we have when we have rebelled against him, when he needed to rescue us. And so if we have a small view of God's holiness, then this doesn't feel like a big deal. If we have a small view of Jesus, it doesn't feel like a big deal. But if we see the grandiose beauty of Jesus, if we see the holy perfection of God that we have sinned against him, and he has put us at peace, those who trust, follow, and treasure Jesus, we are at peace with God because of Jesus. And then he says, I want you to be my image bearers. And if we're going to image him rightly, then it means we're going to live at peace with others. We're going to strive for peace with others because that's what our Father has done for us in, in his pursuit, in his making things right. That he doesn't give a level, saying, well, until they sin this much, then stop. It's just... Be peacemakers. So how do we do it? How do we, how do we actually deal with conflict, knowing it's unavoidable? Back to Proverbs for just a moment. In chapter 12, verse 16. The vexation of a fool, we read this one earlier, is known at once, but the prudent ignores the insult. Right? And so it's basically saying the fool makes things worse, the wise begins to deal with it. So we want to be a church who are wise. We want to be individuals. We want to be parents. We want to be spouses. We want to be friends. We want to be church members. We want to be community members. We want to be co-workers who are wise and not fools, who bring peace to situations and not greater vexation and issue. And your family of origin this morning affects this greatly. What you saw your parents do, what you saw your grandparents, siblings do, whether it was healthy or not. Your past experiences will play into this and your very temperament, right? And so some of you this morning, you are avoiders and you are escape artists. And as soon as you sniff conflict, you're gone. Like, see ya. Like, I don't care who I have to drop, I'm out. And if conflict finds its way to you and you are backed into a corner, you will allow yourself to be run over. You will be the doormat. You'll take it because that's better 
than addressing it. If you'll just stop yelling, right? If you'll just, if you'll, are we good? Like, if you'll just be okay, like, what do I have to do? What do I have to say? Others of you tend to be more the, "Eh, I wouldn't mind a good fight today. Let's see where the day takes us. Right? And you run to it. You don't run around it. You run to it and through it. And it ultimately really doesn't even matter who's in front of you. Like you're just, you're just there. And you have left a path of wreckage of broken relationships behind you. But here's, where, here's, your, here's your mantra. You can't hurt me. I'll need you. And your pride will say, hey, you can't, can't touch me. I'm not weak. And in the end, when you're like, they're like, hey, what, what, but what about that relationship? At least I was right. They know it now. Right? And we just bulldoze people. And yet we know that we don't really like being run over. And it really isn't comforting when someone like is the doormat and just lays down and like plays dead. Like, uh, you know, do what you got to do. Get out of here. And so there's got to be another response. There's got to be another way. And there is. So we become reconcilers. It's why in Matthew 18, um, we we are given a a source of how to deal with discipline in the church. It's why in 2 Corinthians 5, we are told we are given the ministry of reconciliation. Because God has reconciled us to himself. He's made us right with himself. And it's why in Romans 2, it tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not that God says, oh, don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Or God doesn't say, runs over you like a Mack truck and says, see, get out of the way next time. But it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that says, what that is, is wrong. It doesn't have to be that way. And through Christ, I'm making you right to myself. I'm making you an adopted son or daughter. And so we want to look like that. I just want a quick note here. We are not talking about abuse and crimes in, in this conversation, right? We're assuming, right, there's no legality has been broken and no abuses. We're taking that off the table right now. This is minor offenses, okay? This is work. This is family. Um, this is marriage. This is in the church. What do we do? We start by praying. What are we praying for, right? Instead of just the spiritual answer, we're asking for mercy, For ourselves and for the other one involved. We want the ability to give what we have received in Christ. And that is not always natural. We're asking God to prepare their hearts for a hard conversation. As well as giving us, right, a prepared heart for the conversation. We're asking for wisdom. Knowing that Jesus is wisdom. And that we need to know how to proceed and how to deal with it. Listen to Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Verse 4, answer not a fool according to his folly. So he's saying, lest you be like him yourself. So he's like, if a fool is talking, just let him talk. Listen to verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So he says, don't answer a fool and answer a fool. Which is it? This is why we need wisdom. Because there are times where you need to look at a fool in the face You need to tell them what's true. And you need to bring about reconciliation. And there are other times where doing that will make you beat your head against the wall. And you will have wasted every breath and every conversation. Right? How do we know which one is which? 
because of Jesus' wisdom, because the Holy Spirit guides us, and because we're asking him for wisdom to be skilled at living. There is not a rule of thumb that says, hey, if they're, if they're six or under, they're always a fool, right? And if, they're, right, and if, they're, if, if you're married to them, they're always... Uh, we don't know. We need wisdom, and so we have to pray and ask God for it. While we're praying, we need to be considering a couple things. One is, can we overlook it? Listen to verse 9 of chapter 17. Whoever covers an offense seek, seeks love, but the one who separates a matter separates close friends. Right? Who covers an offense is seeking love. And then verse 11 of chapter 19. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So what it's saying is there are sometimes such minor offenses, you don't need to bring it up. You really can just overlook it and assume the best about someone and not talk about it, right? Right, so maybe this is a waitress, right, who messes up your order, right? Is it something that has to be dealt with or not? Sometimes, sometimes not, right? This is maybe someone in a service industry, right, who offends you, and are you going to be the squeaky wheel who gets the oil or not, right? Like, and everyone in the room is already like your skin is beginning to crawl because you're thinking of, yeah, I've been in that situation. It's super awkward. Or you're going, hey, I didn't get what I wanted. I'm, going, I'm coming at her, you know? Like that, can we consider overlooking it? How do we even begin to do this? By being mindful of God, who has looked at our offense and has made us right with him. And so if, if it's a small offense, can we overlook it? Or we're asking the Spirit to give us grace and understanding as to whether we can or not. Maybe you can, and if you can, it's to your credit and to your glory, but it doesn't mean that you always have to, right? This is not a rule that says you must overlook all offense. The second is to identify, is there a reason, right, to move forward with this conversation? And if you are bitter, if there's just something curdling within you, if you're looking at them and go, I want to spit when I see them, I don't want anything good for them. I actually try really hard to avoid hearing about them or seeing them. And when I see them, it just stirs something up in me and it's really nasty. We're not overlooking that at that point, right? We, we're addressing this. So after praying, what do we do? We pursue. And it, this does not matter if they are a believer or not. You, the impetus is on you as the Christian to pursue and to make things right. Whether you are the one who was sinned against or the one who did the sinning, that you pursue a conversation. Listen, there's some things we need to do here. We need to assume the best, right? We need to assume they did not mean to hurt me. Now, listen, it may, be, it may come clear that they did, right? They may become abundantly clear and they'll tell you, oh, no, no, I meant that. Take all the offense because I wanted you to have it. But we don't go in assuming that's how they feel. We don't go in assuming they're just watching me, watching me squirm. They want me to hurt. And we're just assuming that they're over there laughing at us. They may literally not know that offense even occurred. Why does scripture list four dozen one another statements? Because it's not natural for us. Our natural bent isn't to forgive one another. It isn't to bear with one another. It isn't to love one another. It's not to overlook an offense. It's not our natural bent, even as Christians. And so we need those because we need to pursue people. 
And really the question here is, do you love peace enough and do you love the individual enough in this moment, right, that it's worth it? Listen, if it's at work, it may not be. That may really be that you just want to overlook it. But if it's in the body of Christ, right, that I don't look at my children who offend me regularly and say, yeah, I'm done with that. I have to love through it. I have to love them enough to parent through the hard conversation, even if I'm having it for the 412th time this week. Church, do we, can we begin to love one another in a way that would say, I got to bring it up and not to hurt you, but to love you, to bring hope and to bring peace and to bring healing that we pursue. So we pray and then we pursue them. We do not wait for people to come to us because all that will do will feed greater bitterness when they don't come, whether they knew they needed to or not, right? The lack of communicate, lack of communication, the next thing is this, is we own our part in it. We own what our part was. We come with humility and with grace. And we say, I think we have an issue. I think maybe you misunderstood me. Or I think maybe I misunderstood you. And you, listen, you may find out that you didn't misunderstand. Right? But you just come in with humility, look, looking to show grace. And would you just be reminded this morning, because if there's a situation right now where you feel vindicated, you're still a sinner, right? Like, so whether you're completely innocent in this situation, and that's possible, it is possible for you to be completely innocent in this situation, but you haven't always been, you have been the one who is at fault. And so how do we right then show grace to them? How do we come with humility? So we own anything in it that we can. And once we've done that, we listen. We shut our mouth. We ask them to speak and we hear, we listen, and we strive to understand. Listen to Proverbs sixteen twenty four. Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and the health of the body. Your tone and your words are are going to matter, right, as you speak. And then verse 17 of chapter 18, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And so the reason we shut our mouth is because you may actually feel right and justified until you give them a chance to speak. And then you're like, oh, man, I missed that. Right, it's good. A good rule of thumb for us as well. When one child or one coworker or one person brings something to us, just because they got there first doesn't make them right. Doesn't make it more true. And so your body language as you listen and your tone as you listen matter significantly. Because if you're like, and it really doesn't matter that you're listening, right? Because what they're thinking is, is you're a fool that's inviting a beating to your mouth, right? I mean, like, that's, like, that is what is going on in that situation. That you can be doing the right things and your eye rolls and your body language can say, I am going to offend you some more. I don't think you've had enough. And so are we coming with humility and grace to hear, to listen, and to strive to understand or no? And checking off boxes of I asked you to speak doesn't count. 
It is actually coming, wanting to understand what's gone on. And then the next step is this. Is that if we need to forgive, that we forgive. That we make things right. Or if we need to ask for forgiveness, we ask for forgiveness. Without being so defensive and arrogant and proud. That if you have something to say you're sorry for, we don't say, I'm sorry you were offended. Say, I'm sorry I did this. Specifically. Will you forgive me? Is there anything I can do to make this right? Right? It's the same thing we're teaching our kids at home. How to walk through this process over and over and over again. Listen to Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Right, that we're looking to, to, to soften and to turn things away rather than to continue to stir it up. A hot-tempered man, in verse 18, stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. That we come ready to quiet contention, looking to bring about peace. Listen, this goes against every nature of your body, right? You're thinking, I don't want to do any of these things. Any of them. That's why we continue to be mindful of God. That we continue to look at Jesus. That we were rebels spitting in his face, warring against him, hating him. Enemies of God. That is who we are apart from Jesus. And that he made his enemies sons and daughters. He didn't just say, it's okay. He brought us into his family. Church, that's who we are. That's who we've been marked by. And so we want to image our king well. And when we don't pursue reconciliation, you miss out. When you're quick to just leave churches because someone irritates you, when you're quick to leave relationships because someone hurts you intentionally or not, you miss out on the power of the gospel to bring about peace and hope and reconciliation. You actually get to see the things that Scripture say will happen, happen. And it's not without pain or tears or time. But it's good. And a depth of relationship happens. Listen, if you've never had a, a conflict with someone, you may wonder, where are they going to stab you in the back or are they going to have your back? Once you've had conflict with someone and walked through it, you have a better sense of that. That there's a depth of relationship. That we're willing to fight through these things for the glory of God because the gospel gives us permission to do it. To overlook offense. To have the ability to forgive things that really did scar us and hurt us. And it will build trust and faith. Right? Like when we look back on past suffering and see that God is faithful, it gives us hope for future ones. Right? That when we see a little bit of offense, we're like, I can overlook that. That's not that big a deal. Because look at what happened with me and this person. And God brought us through. That we want to have a culture here, listen, not where conflict is not allowed. That's not healthy. But where conflict is dealt with in a peaceful, God-honoring, reconciling manner. And there has to be space for that. There has to be space for that. Church, conflict will refine you. It will make you more like Jesus if you will lean into reconciliation. If you don't, it will make you bitter and you will look nothing like Jesus. Then listen to verse 22 of Proverbs 20. 
It will not only refine you. Do not say I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. You will also be vindicated. The Lord sees all the offenses, all the issues. He sees them. He knows them. He is going to minister to you and you will one day be vindicated for when you were wronged and innocent. Right? And you will be forgiven for those when you were the one who brought the conflict and the wrong and the need for vindication. So here's where we're going to end. Would you this morning thank God if you're at peace with him? Like, I don't mean that flippantly. If you're at peace with the God of the universe who shakes in the foundations of the earth, like rattle when he speaks. Right? If you're at peace with him because of Jesus, would you be grateful for that this morning? If you're not at peace with him and you know it, Listen, it's just repenting and saying, God, I won't want to be a fool any longer. I don't want to walk in my own wisdom any longer. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. God, save me. Besides thanking God or potentially repenting, ask him to reveal, is there someone this morning that you need to make things right with, that you need to pursue a conversation, that maybe you have forgotten, you have so paved over it. You may know, right? But some of you may be going, is there, is there not? Ask him. And then if there is, would you seek him out? Would you initiate it? Would you walk through these steps of pursuing them and being a listener and being gracious to make things right, to bring peace to conflict? Would we, would we do that this morning? Maybe even before we leave. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are... Gracious, forgiving. God, would we not be feeling weighed down with guilt in the moment of all the ways that we have failed, but would we be reminded that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance and that we get to model and image that with others, including our church family, our friends, our children, our, our neighbors, our coworkers, that we can model kindness that leads to repentance. Lord, without overlooking everything, of bringing reconciliation and peace to relationships. God, because you have made us yours. Would we not take that lightly or for granted this morning? Would we see big forgiveness and a big Jesus? And God, would you give us the courage to begin to walk through conflict in a way that does not run over it or run from it, but is desirous of wisdom and reconciliation? In Jesus' name, amen.